So our scripture reading comes from the Gospel according to John. And this is what John writes. The Passover of the Jews was near. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple he found people selling cattle and sheep and doves and the money changers seated in their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here, stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to Jesus, what sign can you show us for doing what you've just done? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he'd said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. <clears throat> Coming to this place this morning into our hearts this morning, rekindle our lives this morning, lift us up this morning, hold us close this morning, speak to us that we might hear and go out into the world a different people. In Christ's name, amen. So Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday really does mean palm branches and hosannas and celebration and recalling that great story of Jesus coming near the city and walking down the road towards the gates of the city to the grand parade and shouts of rejoicing, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, and all of that, that's Palm Sunday, so why in the world did we just read a story about kicking money changers out of the temple? What is going on? Why that? Why not just continue with what we started with today, and joining in the celebrations that everyone else is part of, and rejoicing in who Jesus is, the King of Kings, the one who is here. Why not just join in that? Why can't we just do that? Why can't we just have a good old, yay Jesus, yay God, yay us, everything's wonderful kind of sermon and call it a day? We could do that. We wouldn't even need to know why we're celebrating. So often we don't care. We just love celebrations. We don't even have to have a reason to be part of it. We just love being part of something that feels successful, don't we? Regardless of the reason. 
I think a lot of that is what was going on on the first Palm Sunday so many years ago, or the first Palm Sabbath, you might say, or the first Palm procession. I think Jesus was starting down the road, and a few of the people started with their branches and their cloaks, and a few shouts and a few hosannas, and, a, and it just kind of built from there, and all of a sudden, you were people coming from the nearby neighborhoods on the outskirts of the city and the villages that surrounded the city walls and it just kind of gained an energy and a frenzy and before you knew it you had people coming from all over and they'd be where are you going I don't know but it sure sounds fun to me right has that feel to it and why not be just part of something that feels successful regardless of what it really is about that is, after all, our way. We don't care what it's about as long as it's successful. That's our way. The thing is, we're not talking about our way. We're talking instead about the way of Jesus Christ. And if the way of Jesus does anything really well, it is to challenge our way of doing things. So, having him walk into the temple and challenge our way of doing things might just be the perfect Palm Sunday story to tell. Let's find out. I chose John's version, the the version from John's gospel for a reason. The reason I chose it really, to be honest, is because John is weird, and I like weird people. He's just odd. His gospel is an odd gospel. It stands out as completely different from all the other three, from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He's just not like them. I picture John as this kind of quirky, socially awkward type of person that tries really hard to join in a conversation and always seems to ruin it. You know those? And you just, God bless them, you love them, but they just can't help themselves. They just, they want to be part of it, but they can't. I picture John kind of being over here and Matthew, Mark, and Luke standing over here and talking about all the stories that they know so well about Jesus' life and ministry and and reminiscing about it all, you know, and they can finish each other's sentences because they know how things went. Don't you remember when Jesus did, oh yeah, and he went on, and then we uh, wasn't that a great day, and John walks up, wants to be part of it, and says something, and it's just this odd, awkward thing that doesn't fit in, and it stops the conversation altogether, and they look at him and say, well, that's nice. Aren't you okay? You know, that's, that's how I That's how I picture John, because his gospel just comes at us out of left field. And this story, and the way he tells it, is no different. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell it in a very similar way. They all have their variations. They include a little thing here and there or whatever. They're a little different, but they're all fairly much the same in the way they tell the story. They tell it much later in the gospel, long towards as we get towards the end of the story, at least three-quarters of the way through, and, and they combine it with this 
triumphant entry into Jerusalem, all three of them. It starts off with Jesus and the big hoopla and the branches and the celebration and everybody coming into the frenzy of the energy and all of that. And that's when they report Jesus going into the temple and challenging the way we do things. They wait. John instead tells it at the very beginning of his gospel. Completely out of place. He actually doesn't have time from one the story that came before it to actually get to Jerusalem. So you're like, this makes no sense. Why is it here? What are you doing, John? Are you playing a trick on us? Are you just being weird again? Did you fail the history class on the life and times of Jesus Christ? What's going on? What's the deal? Well, I think I can tell you. Because John may be weird, but he's not dumb. He knows what he's doing. I think the difference is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke wait until towards the end of the story in part because that's probably how it actually happened. But all along the way, they are slowly building us up to that moment when Jesus walks into the temple and challenges how we do things. They start off at the beginning of their Gospels much more slowly than John. I mean, they're, they, they kind of they get cutesy on us, you know. They talk about babies being born, and Matthew and Luke especially. Mark starts off with the beginning of Jesus' ministry, but the other two, they, they talk about babies, and, and we love babies, and oh, a baby, and baby Jesus. I like babies. Don't you like babies? And we just get all excited about a baby, and and it moves from there as, as they slowly kind of pull us into this big story of theirs and talk about Jesus' ministry and how He heals and how He talks to the crowds and captivates them with the stories He tells. And all along the way as we read chapter after chapter, we too get captivated by it. So much so that by the time He begins to walk towards the gates of the city, we're ready to shout Hosanna and raise our palm branches. And yes, finally success is finally here. The moment has finally arrived. And that's when they surprise us with Jesus challenging the way we do things. That's how Matthew and Mark and Luke do it. John starts off with that. He begins with it right up front. Rather than, instead of slowly kind of, you know, wooing us into this story and life of Christ, he starts off different. He doesn't do a birth narrative or any of that other stuff. He starts off with descriptions. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the light came into the world and the darkness did not overcome it. He starts off by describing two temples. The temple of God who comes to us in Jesus Christ and the temple of darkness. In other words, the temples we create for ourselves. Right off the bat, on purpose, the first thing, one of the first things he has Jesus do is walk in to the temple and challenge the way we do things right at the very beginning, to walk right up to us and ask the question, what 
temple are you in? What temple are you in? Man, that's a good question. It's a hard one. Have you ever asked it of yourself? Have you ever really sat down and thought about where your loyalties actually lie? Gotten really honest? Have you ever asked yourself where the center of your life is? That's what the question is really about. Where is the center of your life? Professor Walter Brueggemann puts it this way. He says, where is it that you are met by the goodness and holiness of God? Where is that? Where is the center of your life? What temple are you in? The temple that Jesus cleanses in our story, as Brueggemann points out, is the one filled with business and busyness and trading and selling and buying and and profiting and how can I get ahead and accomplishments and failures and every description of the temples that we create for ourselves out here and are more loyal to than we would like to admit. It's the wrong temple. The wrong temple. If we were to get really honest, we'd have to admit that big business and big profits and big investments and some of our temples. We worship the temples that we have created for ourselves and half the time we don't even realize we're doing it. It's so sneaky in the way that it sneaks up on us. We get signs, though. Every now and then, things pop up in our lives that remind us that we're in the wrong temple. This weekend, the millennial generation has been coordinating marches. March for our lives, they call it. All kinds of people are involved, but they're the instigators of it. The sign. No matter what you think about it, one way or the other, you can't help but admit that it's a sign shouting to us that we're living in the wrong temple, following the wrong things, that we have forgotten who we are. What temple are you in? Another sign would be to say when you get to a point in your life, and we all do at some point, we start to wonder, you know, we just kind of wake up one morning and we say things like, how did I get here? You ever done that? How do I, how did things get here into this place? It's not that it's horrible, but this is not, this is not right quite. Something isn't right about how my life is at this very moment. And where did I get, how did I get to this place? What happened if you've ever asked that question and i've been asking it lately you know i've been asking it some i think it's a middle age thing maybe who knows you know it's therapy for me to tell you about it though i've been asking but it's a sign it's a sign that you might be in the wrong temple 
What temple are you living in? The temple Jesus cleanses in our story is the temple out here. When He walks in, He cleanses the stuff out here. The things that we have infiltrated God's house with, with our expectations of what is successful. And He cleanses the temple. He's cleansing the temple out here. We get so busy and focused on the temple out here that we forget about the temple in here. And let me tell you, friends, this is the temple God is most interested in. After He cleanses the temple out here, the first thing Jesus does is start talking about the temple in here. In all four Gospels, no matter where you read from it, that's what happens next. He talks about the temple in here. He refers to the temple in here. Even John says it. He was talking about the temple of His own body. The temple of Jesus Christ that dwells in our hearts, that walks into our lives and surprises us with who God is and who we might be called to be away from all the distractions that we've created for ourselves. The temple in here. That's what Jesus Christ does best. And if you're able to listen in that moment, if you're able to to believe, if you're able to sit still for long enough, you just might discover that, well, you've been living in the wrong temple for way too long. What temple are you in? Where's the center of your life? The answer you give will change who you are forever. Amen.